0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Wit Briskey, and today we're going to talk with Ari Cohn about free speech on college campuses. Ari is a free speech lawyer and director at the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, or FIRE. He's a native of Skokie, Illinois, and earned his law degree from Cornell University Law School. I'm an attorney and partner for the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, nonprofit administration to religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to MaukBaker.com. that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or calling 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on developments in faith and the law. Ari, can you tell us a little bit about FIRE and and what it does? Sure. Uh, And thanks for having me.
1: Uh, FIRE is a national, nonpartisan, and nonprofit organization. Uh, We were founded in 1999 by a civil liberties lawyer and a professor at the University of Pennsylvania uh, in response to the growing concern that free speech on college campus uh, was becoming uh, endangered. So... Over the years, uh, what we have done is uh, we have developed ways in which we can help to preserve uh, not only free speech, but academic freedom, due process, and other essential individual rights, uh, such as religious freedom and freedom of conscience, at college and university campuses across the country. Uh, We do that in a number of different ways. Uh, The way in which I'm most involved is our uh, Individual Rights Defense Program, uh, which I'm the director of where we uh, take case submissions from students and faculty members who are facing violations of their uh, rights or uh, who have already faced violations of their rights, uh, and we engage in advocacy for that individual or or that student group, um, either through writing privately to the university. Uh, We have a PR team that is top-notch that has the ability to shed public light on colleges and universities that violated students and faculty rights. Um, we also have an uh, educational component, our student network and our campus outreach component that educates campus community members about what their rights are and what to do in the event uh, that their rights are violated. Um, we have a uh, litigation project that enjoys sustained and repeated success challenging speech codes in court. Uh, and we also work proactively with administrators uh, and legislators to help protect free speech and other rights on campus uh, through policy reform, uh, proactive le- uh, legislation, uh, and things like that. Um, so we've, over the years, developed a, a really robust toolkit for helping students and faculty members uh, preserve and protect their rights, and not only their rights, but the rights of their, their peers and their colleagues.
0: Well that's interesting. Uh, you know, when when uh, Fire was founded, you say back in the 60s, right? Uh, 99. Oh, 99. Okay. Well, then uh, my my comment is a little different than uh, you know, <laughs> I, I I'm uh, you know, a little older than you are and uh, I attended Cornell too, but back in uh, 1968 through 72 and uh, we had a uh, a very, let's say um vociferous uh, free speech on campus at that time uh, those were the years when uh, we never really took finals in the spring because we were all in the street demonstrating for or against something or other and um, uh, but it was it was really uh, there, there was no re- restrictions on the way we um, could speak, although if anything the uh, the professorate was more conservative generally than the student body. So right. Well, it's funny that you mentioned
1: that time period, actually, because we had an administrator in one case actually tell students, this isn't the 60s anymore,
0: you can't just go out and protest like that. <laughs> well, you know, that kind of changes the uh, the First Amendment, doesn't it? I, 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 <laughs> I,
1: as far as I'm aware, the First Amendment hasn't changed a whole lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about that. Well, you know, Cornell raises another interesting question, and, and you may have no thoughts about this at all. but. Uh, The First Amendment generally applies to public institutions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Cornell is kind of a unique situation in that it's public and private, that it has some public uh, colleges and some private. Do Do you think the First Amendment applies to Cornell?
1: So that's actually a really interesting uh, and tricky question. And there are a smattering of other um, higher education systems around the country that have somewhat um, similar kind of state supported, if you will, um, colleges and universities. Uh, I think for Cornell, the, the most relevant part is is not, you know, whether or not the First Amendment applies. Uh, obviously, that matters if you're going to court. But Cornell in its policies acknowledges, as many private universities do, that free speech and academic freedom are the lifeblood of the marketplace of ideas that higher education is supposed to represent and embody and foster. Um, So when colleges and universities do make those statements, those glowing promises of free speech and acknowledgement of their importance to the college experience, uh, we think that they should be held to the first amendment standards uh, by the public and and perhaps uh, under contract theories as well. uh, All those, Those kinds of cases have varying degrees of success. There is another wrinkle to it uh, in private institutions, and that is for uh, religious colleges and universities. There are some religious colleges and universities that make clear to students that they don't have to accept or agree with the college's uh, religious principles and that the Principles of free speech are just as important to those colleges. There are others, uh, take for example, uh, Brigham Young or Liberty University, where their policies very clearly state that their religious principles override all others, and those are the most important principles to the institution, and all policies will be construed in light of those principles. And that's totally fine. Those colleges and universities certainly have the right, uh, the associational right to have that belief and and have those policies. And students are aware of what they're getting into when they enroll at those schools. And and those schools, uh, you know, fire doesn't hold them to First Amendment standards because they haven't made any promises. Uh, of free speech, they have said you have free speech up until the point where it really violates our religious principles, um, and that's their right. Uh, totally fine to do that. Uh, so even within private institutions, there's kind of a, a stratification
0: of how much rights students can reasonably expect to have when they go there. All right, uh, this is uh, Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Wit Brisky from the law firm of Malk and Baker, and we're talking with Ari Cohn about free speech on college campuses. Uh, you talk about speech codes. What are speech codes?
1: Uh, FIRE defines speech codes as policies that restrict uh, student or faculty expression. Um, we actually, on our website, have a rating system uh, of red, yellow, or green light. Red light being policies that clearly and substantially infringe on expressive rights on campus. Uh, yellow light policies, which can be interpreted or applied uh, to violate students or faculty rights uh, and not necessarily on their face but susceptible to that interpretation Uh, and then green light policies which pose no threat to expression on campus Uh, and fortunately over the years the number of colleges and universities that have red light policies has dropped dramatically it used to be up in the high 70 percent and now it's down below 50 percent but It's also important to remember that yellow light policies are still unconstitutional and uh, a large majority of the schools that fire surveys still maintains yellow light policies. And they take many forms. They can be harassment policies that are incredibly broad and uh, essentially subject any speech that could be defined as offensive based on a, a protected classification To be uh, discriminatory harassment Uh, or they could be policies that require students to register five business days in advance if they want to hold a protest Uh, for all the lot of good that does a protest five days after a major (laughs) uh, news event happens isn't particularly effective Um, I'm thinking for instance uh, September 11th uh, you know having a candlelight vigil five days after the effect After the fact, loses a lot of its emotional and therapeutic, I I would say, impact uh, on a community that wants to band together and have a demonstration of some sort. Right. Uh, And and they go on and on. And and there's actually a a recent court decision out in Iowa that touches on another uh, issue, which is. The religious liberty and the associational liberties of religious student organizations to have their leadership agree with the religious principles behind the uh, the group's purpose, um, and and that's another area
0: where where we have uh, concerns about a lot of colleges' policies. Well, you could think of of uh, uh, saying that a uh, a Nazi could end up being. Um, the leader of or, or member of uh, a Jewish organization on campus or a Republican infiltrating the the Democratic, the young Democrats or vice versa. Uh, and that's actually happened before.
1: Uh, I believe it was uh, Central Michigan University uh, back in about 2007, uh, where a political group was told that they could not exclude members who don't subscribe to the group's mission. Uh, and the other uh, opposing side basically uh, attempted to infiltrate and
0: become members in order to destroy the organization. We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more on the other side of the break. Uh, I'm Whit Brisky of Balkan Baker, and you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky, partner at the law firm of Mauck and Baker, and we're talking with Ari Cohn, director at the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, or FIRE. And Ari, before the break, you were talking about uh, uh, one political group uh, infiltrating the, uh, the student organization of another. And uh, would, you, would you finish that story for us? It was back in the in the late
1: 2000s at Central Michigan University where uh, which banned ideological and political groups from discriminating on the basis of, quote, "political persuasion, which was kind of absurd. And uh, students hostile to the mission of Young Americans for freedom tried to become members of the group in order to destroy it from the inside. And it's not hard to see, that repeating itself, uh, particularly with the, the level of tension on campus, uh, you can certainly imagine uh, members of one student organization who are opposed to another um, becoming voting members of the other student organization in an attempt to elect a leadership board that thoroughly disagrees with the entire purpose of the organization. Um, and that's what's happened with a lot of I wouldn't say that hostile takeover has happened, but these disputes have occurred a lot with uh, religious student organizations on campus. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the Supreme Court in the Christian Legal Society versus Martinez case um, told uh, colleges and universities that uh, all comers policies were uh, needed. But, you know, it's it's difficult to really square the freedom of association and freedom of expression of student organizations with the uh, mandate that all elected leader positions or voting member positions uh, must be open to everyone, even people who don't agree with the group's purpose.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, I know that the Christian Legal Society had tried to make that point to the Supreme court, but they, at least the majority uh, sort of ignored it um, and said, well, you know, it's never going to happen or uh, really just didn't talk about it at all. Uh, yeah. can, can you give a couple of uh, recent examples of uh, what fire has done uh, at specific uh, colleges or universities?
1: Well, sure. Um, our most recent lawsuit actually, um, interestingly enough, turned the tables a little bit uh, it was at Joliet Junior College, not far from you mm-hmm. and I, uh, and a student who had observed uh, student other students handing out uh, pro-capitalism literature thought to herself, "Well, I'm a socialist. I'm a member of this uh, socialist organization in Chicago, and I'm going to hand out counter-speech. I'm going to hand out flyers about uh, socialism." And she left a few on a table here or there, and on uh, in the campus's kind of walkways and uh, cafeteria. And then as she was walking after class, she was confronted by the police. Hmm. The campus police actually instructed her that she had to return to that, to their office. And they told her that because of the political climate, um, she couldn't just be handing out those flyers (laughs) and took her ID and sat her in an interrogation room for a lengthy period of time, uh, confiscated the rest of the flyers, uh, and and really the the reaction to to her speech, p- pulling her into a police interrogation room, and and taking her ID and her property, uh, is just a, a stunning example of. How campuses um, not only overreact but inappropriately react to student expression on campus. This is, you know, the ability of students to express themselves, particularly if they're not posing any real threat of disruption or anything like that in open areas of the campus, uh, is paramount to the whole idea that we want to instill in college students that this public debate is how we reach. Optimal conclusions in society. Uh, and, and so to see colleges and universities curtailing that is, is really distressing for uh, future generations of our, our elected leaders and our, our civic leaders and, and things like that.
0: Well, and, and particularly, it is the, the speech that the broader society might find most uh, offensive, is the speech that most needs the protections of our First Amendment. Isn't that right? Absolutely, uh, and it's hard.
1: Pre- you'd be hard pressed to find some kind of statement that touches on any matter of social or political concern that doesn't offend someone. Um, and uh, the Supreme Court has said, uh, I believe it was in Hustler Magazine uh, versus Falwell, uh, if the speaker's opinion, that, if it's the speaker's opinion that gives offense, that consequence is a reason for according it constitutional protection. That is the whole point of our of our First Amendment jurisprudence. It's that the speech that we don't want to hear. Might be the speech that convinces us to change our position, or in some way furthers our uh, ideas about what our society should be like. and just because they are at first blush, offensive to us because they challenge our beliefs or
0: challenge our preconceived notions, is no reason to exclude them from that public debate. Indeed, I, I'd like to hear what the other side says because it helps me refine my own opinions, refine my own arguments. And and make me a better advocate for what I believe.
1: Absolutely. You're, I regularly read books that advocate for hate speech laws for exactly
0: that reason. I, I need to understand the other side. Yeah. You know, uh you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky from Malkin Baker. If you're just tuning in, we're with Ari Cohn talking about freedom of speech on college campuses. Uh Malcolm Baker was just involved in a case which uh which just recently settled. Uh, for Southern Illinois University, where they had a speech code, uh, which uh, basically had a free speech zone, which which amounted to a minuscule portion of their campus, and that was the only place where free speech was allowed. And um, we have gotten them to to write a uh, uh, a set of regulations, which I think will pass muster. We hope they're they're green. Uh, in your in your category, once you've had a chance to review them, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that happen in those free in those speech codes that make them unconstitutional?
1: Well, I think the the free speech zone example is, is a great example. It, Those policies are generally crafted such that they restrict speech to a tiny portion of campus. We recently had a federal district court judge out in California um, agree that we had stated a claim on behalf of a student whose speech was restricted to point zero zero three percent of his campus. Uh, That is a tiny amount. And the reason that's unconstitutional uh, is because generally courts have held that the outdoor spaces of campus uh, are Traditional public forums, as to, to students and faculty members, at least, are the people who are who the space is there to serve. And any regulations on speech, the, the they're called time, place, and manner regulations, have to be uh, narrowly tailored to serve a significant government interest. And I fail to see, and courts generally fail to see, uh, anything that's narrowly tailored about restricting campus, or speech on campus to a, a tiny portion of it, which is, by the way, usually out of the way. We've seen free speech zones in uh, weird areas like gazebos, basketball courts. <laughs> um, I think w- one at the University of Hawaii Hilo was this little grassy area that was prone to flooding, which we uh, affectionately dubbed the free speech swamp <laughs> uh, or free speech puddle. Uh, and... It also doesn't leave open ample alternative channels for communication, which is another thing the Supreme Court requires time, place, and manner regulations to provide. And, and that's particularly so when they're out of the way places, because the ability to reach your intended audience uh, is a really important and critical function of you know, speaking out in a public forum. If nobody passes by the area where you're allowed to speak, well, you're not speaking to anybody then, so what's the point?
0: Right. And how can uh, our listeners, particularly maybe those who have children uh, who are about to go to college or uh, uh, or college students themselves, how can they help this uh, struggle for free speech on campus?
1: Well, particularly for parents who are wondering where to send their child uh, for their four years of higher education, uh, four-plus years these days, uh, I think right on our website, thefire.org, mm-hmm. Um, If you scroll just a little bit down, you can actually look up the schools that you're considering, check out their policies, see whether they've had any free speech disputes on campus and things like that. Um, And that's uh, a really important and I think a growing concern when parents are deciding where to send their kids. Um, But also, I I think alumni also have a large role to play. Uh, Alumni can contact their institutions if if they are engaged in uh, free speech shenanigans, as I like to call them, Uh, they can write and and they can tell their their university to knock it off. We have had many people donate to fire in lieu of donating to their institution until such time that the institution's policies comport with First Amendment principles, Um, so I think that there's there's ways for pretty much everyone to get involved, in, and particularly students. We love to work with students who are interested in making sure their campus is a a place for free speech, and we've had students successfully work with administrators, um, you know, while consulting with us to actually have their administrators work on changing their policies, and and that's really an empowering
0: tool for students. Thanks, Ari. Uh, if you have a legal need or a question and want to want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malk Baker, and you can reach us at 312-726-1243, again at 312-726-1243, or at malkbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Malk and Baker is a Christian law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. Call us and mention Lawyers for Jesus for a free consultation. Again, our number is 312-726-1243, and the website is maukbaker.com You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Our episodes are available on iTunes and other podcast applications.
1: you going to have to save somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to save somebody. Money